0: I'm still kicking myself for that one, but that's all right. So today I will give plants the respect that it deserves, or the time that it deserves. How's that? Um, but does anyone? Hey, Mia, what's up? Sorry, I was just going to ask if you could go over the light and dark reactions again. Yes. So, yeah, because that's what we started to talk about last time was light and dark, right? So let's take a step back and try to review what we were... Oh, we, we, are you guys good on the electron transport system chain you've had enough of metabolic biochemistry to last you forever except that there's a little bit in photosynthesis right so let's talk about that again Uh, we very quickly said a couple important things about plants one is that we think that they came from bacteria right so let's just give a shout out to the cyanobacteria really quick Which is a prokaryote. Prokaryotic. How about that? Okay, and also um, this is what we refer to as blue-green algae. All right? The blue-green algae. It's not really algae. I'll put it in quotation. It's cyanobacteria, which is a prokaryote. It's a bacteria. It's a photosynthetic bacteria. Now, it does form kind of like a multicellular, you know, prokaryotes on their own are unicellular, but they do actually tend to form these little mini-chains, something like this, where several of the cells will actually come together and form this, like, mini-chain, and one of them becomes a little bit special. It changes into what's called a heterocyst. But each of these represent individual cells. But it's the earliest, and they still exist today. They're still massively in the ocean. And they're still carrying out photosynthesis. Um, so you could argue that they do form some sort of multicellular unit. But really, they're, they're individually, they're, proca- they're unicellular. Okay, so we'll say that they're unicellular. They're unicellular, but can form chains, okay? That's cyanobacteria. Then, so this is what we're talking about when we talk about photosynthetic organisms. Another term that I didn't give you, but is very important, is the term autotroph and the term heterotroph. Anybody know what these terms mean? Alejandro. yeah yeah makes its own energy slash food from the Sun Sun and water right imagine if we could just like go swim in the ocean and sit lay in the Sun and that like gave us all of our energy like made us full inside that would be amazing right that is what autotrophs can do so all plants but also Alejandro also, this is the original autotroph. Well, you know, a modern, modern like the past three billion years, autotroph. All right, that's, that's uh, making, utilizing sunlight and water to make energy. All right, so it starts not just with plants. It doesn't start with plants. It starts with cyanobacteria. And then we think that gave rise to ultimately multicellular, Photosynthetic organisms in water, such as algae, right? And then eventually crept up and got onto land. So, all this is the same, except on land. And that's plants. All right, so all of these organisms, these are all autotrophs. They're all autotrophs. They all make their own energy from food. Basically, they can all perform photosynthesis. Now, if it's a cyanobacteria, it contains all the enzymes it needs inside of its own cell. If it's an algae or a plant, it's a eukaryotic. So these are, let's do green, right? We said this is prokaryotic, these are eukaryotic. Mm. There we go. All right, we we know a little something about eukaryotic cells. Right? Right? All you guys should be like, yeah, we took a whole exam on that. We we know all we know about eukaryotic cells. So what do we know about eukaryotic cells? These are cells. That have a nucleus. These are cells that have mitochondria. All right. All right. Eukaryotic autotroph. These cells have mitochondria. But they also have, if they're an autotroph, they will also have chloroplasts. Okay? And, so this is an autotrophic eukaryote. So if it's an autotrophic eukaryote, that means that the sun is hitting the chloroplast. All right, and the chloroplasts are making sugar. And they're also making oxygen. All right? They do a lot of other stuff, too, but they make those. They're also making a lot of ATP. They also make a lot of NADPH. We started talking about that. But that really goes into making the sugar. And they, they make oxygen. Now, remember, that's what a mitochondria needs. Mitochondria takes, well, technically, the mitochondria doesn't take sugar, right? In the, in the cytosol, glycolysis happens. Which converts the sugar to pyruvate right, which then goes into the mitochondria and the mitochondria uses the oxygen to make a lot of ATP, to make energy. Right. So the sugar gets used in the cytosol, but ultimately it feeds into the mitochondria. If it's an aerobic, you know, like plants and stuff, they they use oxygen. Also, plants not only do they need sunlight, they also need water. Right? And in order to make the sugar, they use CO2. So this is all happening in an autotrope. Because, see, they can make their own energy, all they need is sunlight. water, and they also use CO2. And keep in mind with us, it with them, they have both. They have chloroplasts and they have mitochondria. So their chloroplasts make the energy for their mitochondria, which then makes more energy. And of course, that also produces, right, one of the byproducts of this is makes CO2, which then goes over here, also makes water, which goes over here, although you need to water your plants too, right? So they've got it going on, they could just hang out in the sun, you know, take a dip in the ocean or whatever, I mean, they don't really like salt water, but. Take a dip in the pool and live, All right? Whereas we are not like that. We are heterotrophs, right? So what does heterotroph mean? What's that? We consume Yeah, we have to eat. Has to eat. Eat. Basically, has to eat the autotrophs. We'll just say it has to eat, sugar, all the other stuff too, right? Fat, protein. Basically, it has to eat things. How's that? It has to eat things to make energy. It's energy. Okay? Usually, it has to eat the autotroph. But we also eat other heterotrophs right depending upon whether you're vegan vegetarian episcopate or yeah what was i trying to say escutarian, escutarian. escutarian? is that fish yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. and so on and so forth right so episcopalian is a religion <laughs> <laughs> That's like the eat <laughs> you don't want to eat that no. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Yeah, that's cannibalism. That's only going on in in uh, very remote places, and people that are you know the New Zealand ha- has a history of eating their enemies. That's why people are really scared of them when they do their hockey dance. They're like, yeah, we know you used to eat people. All right. Um. Okay, so heterotrophs, right? So heterotrophs i mean i don't have to draw that we know essentially this is a plant and technically i drew this wrong because nowadays it's also got a cell wall on top of having a cell membrane whereas heterotrophs are animals so they don't have a cell wall right okay so now we're giving it a little bit okay so we've been learning about the mitochondrial portion which of course autotrophs have the mitochondria they just have to get their sugar and oxygen from from the autotrophs okay okay so then Mia what were we we were supposed to go back over um, light, and dark. light and dark okay so so you know Unfortunately, this class—you know—we don't really get into the good stuff, right? When I I was a community college student, I wanted to know all the organismal stuff, right? I wanted to know all the animals, all the plants in detail, the anatomy of the plants, the anatomy of the animals, the physiology, and all that. This is the cell and molecular class, right? So I figured they—I always feel like they should switch them. Like first, you should learn the organismal, then you should go down into the cellular, right? But whatever. So, and you're going to learn—you know—a plant. It's a multicellular organi- organism, um, composed of cells, though, right? Really, it's, this leaf is composed of little cells. And inside of those cells, we have these things, right? So inside of the cells, the main thing, the main driver of all this is the chloroplast, right? So let's look at the chloroplast in a little bit more detail. Um, we could make this easy. We could just pretend this is a chloroplast. Well, maybe not. A chloroplast kind of is like this. It's rounded. It has a lot of common with the mitochondria. You know how mitochondria have two membranes, an inner membrane and an outer membrane. So does a chloroplast. Chloroplast has an inner membrane and an outer membrane. We think they both came. We think that both mitochondria and chloroplasts came from cyanobacteria or something related to that because cyanobacteria are gram-negative bacteria that also have an inner membrane and an outer membrane and they're the OGs right they're the original photosynthetic organism so both chloroplasts and mitochondria have two membranes just like gram-negative bacteria but unlike mitochondria where the energy the gradient is being created in the inner membrane space when it comes to When it comes to chloroplast You have two different major areas. You have the thylakoid space And you have the And you have kind of like the cytosol but it's not, I mean, it's, it's the liquid space inside of the chloroplast that is not thylakoids. So let me try to, my, I lost my computer. There it is. Yeah, but it's not, it's not really a size. See, inside of a chloroplast, you have these different spaces, right? The granum and the stroma. The granum is the thylakoids, and the stroma is the non thylakoid space. Okay? And when you're dealing with metabolites, like CO2, for example, is going to be processed in the stroma. Water is utilized by both, but the light, you know, the light, so the so, in other words, the, the dark reaction, let's say this. The dark, I'm going to put that in quotations because technically it doesn't have to be in the dark, it just doesn't need light. That takes place in the stroma, okay? And the light, the light reaction takes place inside of the thylakoids that make sense? Yeah, Susie? What's the word next to strong? Granum. granum. Granum? Granum. Like grandma, almost, but granum. Oh, Here, granum. Thank Mm hmm. So What's that? It doesn't need it. It doesn't need it to carry out its reaction because it turns out that the, the carbon to make sugar. Well, technically, it makes it and it keeps it because it utilizes it. Well, no, it pushes it out because it goes to the mitochondria. But the sugar, okay, the C6H12O6, the H and O can come from water, but the carbon comes from CO2. And actually, the O, sorry, I misspoke. The O also comes from CO2. There's water there. But the O, here we go. I correct myself. The in sugar, the carbons and the oxygens come from CO two, and that takes place in the stroma. Okay. Yeah. Light. Yeah. Here, I'll try orange. Can you read orange? Let's see. The light is too light. The light is very light. How's that? Is that good? So the light reaction happens in the... So in a way, you can kind of think of it, even though now we're going inside of a chloroplast, right? Within the chloroplast, outside of the thylakoid is where the, the sugar gets made, right? Whereas, like, in the actual thylakoids is where the oxygen gets made, and the ATP and the NADPH, which is needed, by the way, to make the sugar. So if you look here, right... Here's the light reaction that takes place in the thylakoid. Okay. You need to make the ATP and the NADPH before you can make the sugar. This is the sugar. The sugar is made by the Calvin cycle. So better words than light and dark, I don't know. Is, is uh, It's still the light reaction. So both of these are considered to be photosynthesis. So photosynthesis is both the light and the dark but the dark is actually technically the Calvin cycle. Okay. Which is responsible for making sugar. The light reaction Okay. Light's going to go in. I'll use orange instead, it's a little better. The light hits, right? And it utilizes water. Where's my blue? Okay, this utilizes water too. But the the sugar The carbons and the oxygen are gonna come from the CO2. And then what's gonna get outputted here is lots and lots of ATP. Lots of NADPH. Here, I'll make it easier. And those are going to power the Calvin cycle. And of course, you gain oxygen, which we are breathing. All right, this is why we have to eat them. This is why we exist, because we have oxygen. Okay? Make sense? Good. All right. Pigments, this all this stuff we're gonna cover in lab. Those of you guys that were in lab on Tuesday, pretty cool, right? Who was there? Yeah. We like we like looked at the absorbance of different photopigments. Right? Because these chloroplasts, we haven't got into it yet, but when the light hits, it has to be absorbed. Right? It has to be absorbed, and then it can go do make oxygen and stuff. So different photopigments absorb different frequencies of light. Right, so we'll get into that in lab. If you've already done the lab, then you know. If you haven't done the lab yet, then you will know. See, we did this, right? We looked at these different photopigments, and we saw how they absorb at different frequencies. All right, so we'll skip that for now. Well let's get back to the light reaction. Mia, here's back to your original question. <laughs> okay, so in photosynthesis And this is the point I was trying to make. Is that It's finally going to answer your question. We're not really covering the Calvin cycle in detail. Um, I'll show you pictures of it. But I'm only going to I only want you to mechanistically understand the the light reaction. And then I'm also not making you learn the details Kind of like the electron transport. I'm not making you learn the details, but I I do want you to know that you do have a thylakoid membrane, right? Which you can see over here. Here's your thylakoid membranes, right? And in that thylakoid membrane are different photosystems. And the main thing that the the photosystem do is they're responsible for absorbing light and converting the photons into excited electrons. Okay, so light hits both of these. Light hits this one, light hits this one. And this is photosystem 2, photosystem 1. And there is a cytochrome complex between which is actually responsible with dealing with the electrons and pumping protons to create a gradient okay, just like the electron transport system or chain so light hits if that light is absorbed by photopigments okay and photopigments undergoes a series of transduction reactions which ultimately leads to the excitation of electrons so the electron. I try to make this joke, but here's the first class that didn't laugh. It's okay. It's because I was rushing. It's okay. Um, but yeah, so sunlight energy is converted. It actually excites the electron, which then causes it to then undergo a series of oxidation reductase redox reactions, which we don't have to know in detail. The movement of electrons, can you see? Oh, here, I should probably use a different color for the movement of electrons, because it's no longer light. Purple. The movement of electrons, the movement of electrons does the same thing that it does in the electron transport system. Okay, where it causes The movement of electrons is what powers the proton pump to pump a bunch of H plus protons onto one side. What that looks like in the thylakoid is that this is actually the thylakoid space. okay? Which means that it's the inside of the thylakoid. Okay? So what's happening is Protons are accumulating in the inside. Right? Instead of being generated into the inner membrane space like it was with mitochondria, it's pumping protons into the thylakoid space. And that's still generating a gradient, a difference in proton concentration. Okay? Is that clear? So that's the point. The move, just like the electron transport chain, right, Mia? Remember that thing? Mm -hmm. So, just like that, when we move electrons, there's some stuff that happens, but as it does so, that's powering the pumping of protons to generate a gradient. Just like we did with mitochondria, because it turns out everything's all about a gradient, the difference in ion concentration. It's like our own little biological batteries. That's what we're making right now. We're making a battery. The chloroplasts do it too. Okay? So now you've got, you know, we're going back to our membrane stuff, right? This is active transport, but it's powered by the movement of electrons. Now we've got a gradient, which can then be harnessed. By uh, what do you think harnesses the gradient? ATP synthase. All right? Same enzyme as in mitochondria and chloroplast. Same thing. That's what I'm trying to get you guys to see. It's the same enzyme. So you are using you're using opposite meta. And then, of course, then I gotta get into the so when. when water splits or sorry sorry when the electron becomes excited now it, there's a void there were electrons there they're not there anymore that void has to be refilled the way that those the void is refilled is that water splits water splits into one half oxygen plus two hydrogen Here, I'll just erase this okay you should recognize that because that is well we'll put them together in a second but water splits right you need water for plants that water one of the water is being used in a lot of things but in the light reaction water splits in order to donate electrons to fill that void because these electrons are gone. They've been moving across, they've been shuttling around in order to pump protons across the gradient. All right, so water splits, should have done that in blue, right? Water splits, splits. And by the way, you can split water in different ways. If you apply a voltage to water, you can split it, right? Electrolysis, they're trying to power cars. Have you seen the drag racing cars that like spit out water? They're trying to make these like. And how about fuel cells? Right, they're involved. There's uh, there's a lot of chemistry that you can do to try to split water and utilize the hydrogens or something. There's, a, in fact, there's there's an extra credit opportunity I think is posted about the bioleaf. You see the bioleaf? Anybody see that? So they're figuring out a way to split water more efficiently than plants. I think that's what they're trying to do. All right, because they want to... Plants do it naturally. You could just grow a bunch of plants. But they want to be able to harness that for things like fuel cells and... You know, it's... uh. It's a cool chemistry, right, but plants do it naturally. They split water, right? They split it into what can become oxygen, gas, and hydrogen. right? so then you can utilize that hydrogen for stuff. Think about it. Water has a lot of hydrogen in it. If you could just split it and use it. Plants do it all the time. It's part of this light reaction. Okay? So they split water, those electrons go to power Along with light, the photons from light go to power this system which generates a battery, generates a gradient, and then is finally utilized by the ATP synthase, but then, so this happens twice, light hits again, gets excited, and ultimately the final electron acceptor, final electron acceptor is what? Not a bad guess. That was in the electron transport chain, the final electron acceptor is oxygen. In here, you use water to make oxygen as the donor. That's right, somebody said it. NADH, except it's NADPH, which just is a phosphorylated form. So the final electron acceptor is NAD to form. NADPH okay so that's the final electron acceptor the donor is water the acceptor forms is a reduced an oxidate. it ultimately becomes a reduced form of NAD which is NADPH okay NAD NADP probably an ADP whatever close enough okay so then you guys know this part though right so the H pluses are then utilized by this enzyme ATP synthase in order to generate lots and lots of ATP. yay Allie, good job lots and lots you see I've got Ally and Angie and Adri all down now I apologize it took me so long Okay, so lots and lots of ATP, right? So then going back to our drawing here, all right? So that's how we generate the ATP and the NADPH, which is then utilized in the stroma to make sugar, which I think I have somewhere. Oh. Well, here's all I should tell you. This is a whole, the Calvin cycle is a lot like glycolysis. In fact, some of the intermediates are actually the same, although it uses, utilizes Rubisco. And I'm going to save you from having to know the, the details of the Calvin cycle. But the Calvin cycle utilizes the ATP and NADH uh, along with CO2 to make sugar. Water comes in here too. If you want, I'll find a picture to show you. What's up, Sean? You do the NADPH inside the how does it get out to go do the thing in the carbon cycle? it It's a good question. Um, how does it get shuttled out? I don't know how it gets shuttled out. It gets shuttled out. Both of them, the ATP and the NADPH, get shuttled out. Okay. So and here's your Calvin cycle. Yeah. All right, so here, here is the steps of the Calvin cycle. There's Rubisco. All right, combined to CO2. And then you utilize the ATP and you utilize the NADPH. So, yeah, so it's NADP. There we go. There we go. Caveat. Okay. Utilize NADP and the ATP in order to generate sugar. You may recognize G3P. We never, yeah, Rubisco is a, a fundamental key component of it. But G3P is also in glycolysis. See this thing, glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate? That's G3P. That is also in the Calvin cycle, right? So think of Calvin cycle kind of like, I mean, its own. Essentially, it's it's not the opposite of glycolysis, but there are some shared intermediates. And what it is actually doing is making sugar, as opposed to utilizing sugar. Okay. Okay. Any questions? Mia, did that help? Yeah. Cool. For sure. All right. Then of course these things get burned by the Calvin cycle so then you got to go uh, back and do it again. Okay, but the major point here is if it's an autotroph and remember that all of this, okay, the oxygen and the sugar ultimately end up The oxygen and the sugar ultimately end up going to the, I mean, you know, this goes to glycolysis, but ultimately this stuff ends up going to the mitochondria. Okay. And now maybe if I draw this thing, it'll make sense. So I'm going to try it one more time here. Give me one more shot. Give me one more shot. Okay, so with all that being said, Now maybe this will make sense, hopefully. All right. So the point here is that I find it incredible that you can take the opposite metabolites but utilize the same process in order to make ATP. And now I gotta put these on this side. In the case of the mitochondria, Right? The proton gradient is being generated in the mem- intermembrane space. <coughs> I'm sorry. Thanks. In the case of the light side, right, it's actually not two membranes, because it, there's a thylakoid membrane, right? And the stuff gets shuttled into the thylakoid space which we said is inside of the thylakoids, right? So in the case of this, well, I should do it the other way. Inner membrane, outer membrane, right? And we didn't get, Mitch, we didn't get into the details of the ETS. What we said is that there are complexes, four complexes, That are involved in utilizing and we didn't review it because I think you guys have seen enough of the okay but um, you have a lot of NADH Wait. you have a lot of NADH you have FADH2 all right and these remember that all this is is accumulated electrons right and those electrons are donated similar to here right the electrons from water are donated in this case it's the electrons so these are the electron donors NADH and FADH2 this one goes through here this one goes through here as they donate their electrons okay the movement of the electrons through this system Okay, is what powers the generation of a proton gradient into the inner membrane space. High H plus, right? All right? Now in the case of the thylakoid, you have two photosystems okay that are the original electron donor is water Technically these go back to well you know whatever Hey okay. technically these become NAD+, FAD+, right so this becomes one half oxygen, but the electron donor here is water. Here the electron donor is NADH and FADH2, okay? In both cases, it's the donations of those electrons moving through a system, in this case twice, because there's two photosystems that can accept and absorb light. So they convert that energy. The photons are what excite the electrons. The donation comes from water, but the excitation comes from the photons, from the sunlight. Okay, but in this case, The donor is water. In this case, the donor is NADH and FADH2. All right. In both cases, the movement of electrons is what powers the generation of a, gotta put this back down. Is what powers the generation of a proton gradient. into the thylakoid space. So in the case of both, maybe I should use the same color. All right? in the case of both you're generating a proton grading. Right? That is the same. It does look kind of sloppy. Ah, oh, whatever. But, um, so the inner membrane, outer membrane, so you're, generation, you're generating a gradient here, you're generating a gradient here, and in both cases, you're utilizing an ATP synthase But okay, so then, the original electron donor here is water. The original electron donor here is NADH or FADH2. Okay, finally, as the electrons pass through here, the final electron acceptor, the final electron acceptor is water, or sorry, is oxygen. to form water. Okay? The final acceptor is oxygen to form water. Later, Scott. You gotta go? Yeah. Word. All right. Hopefully he's all right. All right, so here the electron donor is water, goes through this process, the final electron acceptor is NADP plus to form NADPH. Okay? So hopefully that's making sense. So the, here the original donor is NADH. Here the final acceptor is NADP plus to form NADPH. Here, the final acceptor is oxygen to form water. Here, the electron donor is water to form oxygen. That is kind of an important detail. Okay? Does that make sense? In both cases, it is the movement of electrons that generates a gradient that generates a gradient, okay, which can then be utilized by the ATP synthase. All right, so this is the ATP synthase. And I know you guys hate this stuff, but I, freaking, I think this is so amazing. Because what we're describing here is basically almost the same process. To me, it's evidence that it came from the same bacteria, or the same, I mean, either it was like the same design, where they are like, all right, we'll just make them the same with different things, or it's evidence that they came from a similar organism that contains the same enzyme, ATP synthase, that's utilizing a gradient to make lots and lots of ATP, Right? even though they're using completely opposite things to do it. You guys don't think that's cool? I think that's super cool. I don't know. Yeah, Francisco. Uh, Yeah, in the case of this, right? Yeah, the gradient is created in the actual thylakoid. When it's the mitochondria, they do it in the inner membrane space. All right, so it's slightly different because... A chloroplast has an intermembrane space, but it doesn't do it there. Yeah, Sean. Oh, so like I say, then there are kind of
1: like two membranes because, yeah. like, you
0: just you're on at the five hundred meters and just do like an oval, right? Yeah, yeah. Technically, it's it's like that, right? Yeah, it's integrated right. in there. But then it's within. There's there's also okay. an intermembrane space right here, I know, which it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Technically, it's yeah, technically it's, like it's encapsulated. So if it's a cyanobacteria, it doesn't have a mitochondria or a chloroplast. It has all of these things in its membrane. It has an inner membrane. And uh, I don't know, because obviously it doesn't have thylakoids. With the cyanobacteria, it's all of these things I think is in, this is probably in its inner membrane. I'm curious. I don't actually even know that. I should look that up. photos a photosynthetic cyanobacteria where does it generate its gradient it has to shuttle it inside of the cell for sure but then I don't know if it does it into its inner membrane I've never taught this so any microbiology yeah so it looks like it goes into its inner membrane yeah so this is like just like the mitochondria. In the case of a prokaryote, this is what I would expect, but in the case of the actual prokaryote. Sheesh. Oh, they want you to buy it. Sci hub. Oh yeah, I know. I know you guys told me. That. Let me try Sci Hub too though. You guys know about Sci Hub? Yeah, I it. Did I tell you about Sci Hub? Yeah. Look at that. All right. So yeah, in this case It's good for your independent projects to know about Saib. Here you go. So, I'm assuming that this is cytoplasmic membrane. Yeah. So basically, wait, thylakoid membrane. That's not prokaryo. Do do cyanobacteria have thylakoids? I don't know, I gotta look more into this. Cyanobacteria have thylakoids. Interesting. Alright, so they're doing it similar. So then, this is conserved then. So this is just how they would do it in their own bacteria. They have their own kind of thylakoid organelles. Inside of their. Obviously, they don't have chloroplasts, they just have. A, but they have little mini organelles inside of them that are like thylakoids that do this. I gotta read more about uh, the cyanobacteria. So obviously I, I'm more of a UK out of guy. All right. Any, uh, anything else before we start moving on to cell reproduction? Does that make a little more sense? All right, good. Yeah, that was overconfidence. Overconfidence, you know, you learn a lesson. It's good. All right, because, yeah, now we just talked about that for, like, an hour. All <laughs> right, so, good. That's teaching, though. You know, when you're not teaching, you're like, okay, here it is. All right, you got it. <laughs> it's like, teaching, you're like, okay, nobody got that at all. All right. All right, so... Uh, Today for the rest of class, I'm just going to show you some pictures. Okay, you. Yeah, I like to show pictures. You know why I do all this writing on the board? Because then I know you have to write it, and I know you'll learn better that way. Mm-hmm. If I just show you the pictures, you'll just like fall asleep, or you'll watch it. But you know, it takes time before you could just watch a presentation and be like, I got it. You know. Um, but you know, we're going to start this, so let me show you pictures. Because it's easier. It's easier to sit here and be like, "Well, class, here is the slide, and blah blah blah," you know. But yeah, I write it out because I hope. Then I'm not the best writer, but I hope that I mean I could see you guys do a better job writing it than me, and at least that way it's more kinesthetic. You guys are like, "Uh, all right." So, anyways, you guys want to take a second to just. We've got fifteen minutes. You guys want to take a second to just chill and like reflect on what we just talked about? Brenna and Breanna don't, or Vita don't, but I know you guys do. We'll give you a second. I'll erase some of this stuff. How about, um, yeah, just take a moment to reflect on the fact that it's almost this is your Friday, right? Excellent. And then I'll show you some pictures. All right, I think I have a photosynthesis kahoot I could give you next time. I'm going to give you a little bit of pictures today and then next time I'll give you the photosynthesis kahoot. All right, you guys ready? Now we're going back to my world. So this is my world, right? So I, I'm like a biomedical scientist. so. It turns out that cell division is incredibly important. Now, why why would cell division be something that is incredibly intensively studied in biomedical science? All it has to do with the cell dividing. So, why would we be so obsessed with further understanding how cells divide? Cancer. And specifically, this yeah exactly. Who said that? Nadia. Yeah, cancer. Right, because cancer hijacks this system. The way it's designed is that if things are wrong you should stop dividing but cancer figures out a way to hide to get past all that all of your cells natural defenses are destroyed when it comes to cancer usually it's genetic right cancer is a genetic disorder as a result of mutations just the right mutations to bypass your whole cell protection during reproduction so yeah when we talk about cell division and cell reproduction, the biomedical application is cancer, which is still a very big problem. And it is here at the cellular level where we dig deeper and deeper trying to understand it further and further. So what you're looking at is the clock. I said just pictures, right? So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna write anything on the board. So what you're looking at here is the clock. Okay, we'll go over this in more detail in next class. But most of the time, okay, uh a cell is either dividing or preparing to divide. If, in this case of this clock, what's actually missing from this clock is when the cell is just chilling, like not trying to divide. Actually, what happens is right after mitosis, there's something called a G0. G0 is if a cell is just fully mature, differentiated, it's not trying to divide okay but if it goes into G1 it's actually then preparing to divide again so this whole time clock here is describing the process of a cell dividing even though physically it only divides during this mitotic phase there's a lot of preparation that goes into dividing imagine it's like if you were to divide your household right you gotta like double all of your probably you would have to double all of your money you would have to buy another house you'd have to you know there'd be a lot of investment Essentially, you'd have to double all of your resources before you divide, right? So that's the same with cells. These gaps, so G1, a lot of your organelles start to divide, like mitochondria, your endoplasmic reticulum. All this kind of stuff starts to like accumulate more and more of it, right? The S phase is all of your DNA, which there's a lot. There's billions and billions of base pairs that need to copy themselves, hopefully accurately, before you can then divide, right? So a lot of time is dedicated to just reproducing all of it, all of the DNA, replicating it. Okay, the second gap is kind of a quality control. So then you go through and say, okay, you know, imagine you've got your checklist. You're like, do we have everything? All right, do we have this, this, this? Does everything look good? Okay. Now we're ready to divide, right? And then you only spend this much time actually dividing. And in lab, we'll look at a bunch of cells and we'll get an idea of how many of them are actually physically dividing versus how many of them are maybe in interface, even in a very highly developing place, like in sperm or like uh, in the, the tip of a root or something like that. All right. When a chromosome divides, it physically divides. This is what a chromosome cartoon looks like. It's a single chromosome. When it's ready to actually divide, it becomes duplicated. And so usually when you look at chromosomes on the media, they look like this, right? Like the X, right? When you think of a chromosome, don't you think of this? That's not a chromosome. That's Well, it's considered one, but it's actually sisters. It's a completely replicated chromosome that's only still attached. At the you know at the hip or at the centromere or technically at the kinetic or at the a region where the kinetochores are. But actually this will split in half to become what it should be, which is chromosomes that look like this. Okay, so this is actually a cell that's right here about to go into mitotic phase. Actually it's beginning its mitotic phase. That's when the chromosome will look like this. Otherwise it would look like that. It would not look like sisters. All right, here's the cool pictures. Wait. OK, so here are some cool pictures of the replication process. Here's interphase. You can't really see much. Prophase, it's really hard to actually see the chromosomes in prophase. But when you get to prometaphase, now you can really see how these, the DNA has very much condensed. Until they, you can actually look like chromosomes. The other thing is, if you look at your nucleus, they're not in chromosomal form. I mean, they are packed into chromatin, but they don't form this structure that you guys think of with chromosomes until they're ready to divide. And you can see that here. If you really look, you guys see. I'm going to turn the lights down. We'll get any idea. You don't like it dark? Not like the movie theater? Like Batman? Yeah, fair enough. So you can really, hopefully you guys can really see the difference here between like a nucleus normally. So that blue it's either a tripan blue or a hoax stain. It's some sort of thing that binds to DNA. So you see that when it binds DNA in a normal nucleus, it's homogeneously distributed throughout the nucleus. All right? You can see you can't see any chromosomes in there. But when a cell's ready to divide, see how they strongly condense and pack into where you can actually see what look like chromosomes. All right? They're actually sisters, sister chromatids. And by the time they make it to metaphase, they line up, right? And we're gonna go through all these things. But here, I'm just showing you the pictures. The blue is the DNA. Anybody know what the green is? Is Yeah, the green is tubulin, which is what microtubules are made out of. So the green is tubulin, the blue is DNA. What's the red? The red is actin instinct so it's red the red is active so this is a cell see so normally it looks like this and we'll look at these in lab I think hopefully next week you can start to see some condensation but really by prometaphase you can see the chromosomes they've packed together because they're ready to divide okay then they do they line up then they start to separate and then the cells butt off from each other and this is the you know we'll learn all these processes and some you know the names of them and all that uh, you know a plant cell pretty much does the same thing but it's got a cell wall so instead of butting off like an animal cell does it builds a new plate to separate the two it's got a cell wall all right got a little bit of time so this is so it took a long time until we could figure out how to grow cells on a dish but what we figured out is that in the presence of growth factors you guys still with me you guys almost done You're really ready to get out of here all right so in the presence of growth factors cells will actually grow better okay so we, we haven't got into I can't draw anything because I said I do picture we haven't got into the mechanisms of cell division but we but we did say that there is a quality control step and normally that will stop cells from dividing in the wrong situation however you can push cells to divide if you give them growth factors now this you can see this here right if I if I take cells I put them in a dish if I give them growth factors they're going to grow a lot better it turns out cancer can do this too right if you have a mutation in your growth factor receptor so that you always turn it on you can make it mimic a situation where it's being exposed to growth factors constantly okay so this is very common VEGF um, PDGF different types of growth factor receptors can be actually mutated in cancers or if you want to make cells grow you add those growth factors does anyone know how we actually do this in the lab or how historically they would do this in the lab So they take fetal calf serum. So somewhere, some, somewhere there's a bunch of cows hanging out and they're taking the fetal calves and they're taking their blood and they're spinning it down so that they get the serum and then they sell that to scientists so that scientists can grow their cells in a dish. Because the exposure of cells to fetal serum contains a lot of growth factors. Historically, this is how it's done. Now we're getting better we're making my, we're, we're we're teaching the microbes to make the growth factors for us using more recombinant techniques, biotechnology. But historically, that's what they would do. They just take fetal blood and use that, sell it for very. They'd sell it at about five hundred to thousand dollars a liter, and scientists would buy it in order to grow their cells to do their research. Why did they use cows? Because there's a lot of it. You know, there's a lot of cows being. You know. Slaughtered, unfortunately. <laughs> and they're big. What's that? What's that? So lab-grown beef, that would be a complete, like, hypocritical thing to do, right? Like, I'm growing beef in a dish, but then I'm using fetal calf serum to make my beef, right? I think in the very beginning they were doing this, but, of course now they're using microbes to generate the growth factors so that ultimately they don't have to use anything like that Uh, because the whole goal is to get off of it right because you can grow you can create muscle tissue in a dish Uh, and if you were to use fetal calf serum it would be very expensive like i said thousand dollars a liter just to use a serum if you can get microbes to do it it could be next to nothing because like you know it's as cheap as making beer that's using microbes to make ethanol. So, yeah? Uh, what I wanted to see what's, I might be off base here, but that was just like a, 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 a real life scenario. Yeah. Uh, like GMO foods. GMO foods. Well, as <laughs> far as the, I don't know if you can go back in that case where you have like a... Hang on, guys. How about one more minute? Let's let, oh, because it's, it's 625. That's right. Okay, one more minute, Mitch, just real quick. <laughs> i couldn 't really hear you, so do people genetically modify the muscle well, tissue yeah, to make like bigger beef like GMO type i mean that 's where so i don 't know what the current proprietary technology is with with the uh, meat alternatives, but i 'm sure they're i 'm sure it 's all i mean how could you say it 's not gMO because you 're like making it in a dish i mean I guess they could take they could take the cells and well, because usually, even to make uh, a cell that's going to be able to reproduce like crazy, you probably have to GMO it. You probably have to genetically modify it to m- make it more like a tumor cell, actually. Because you want it to grow unrestrictedly. That's what I'm like with, with apples or something like that, go, you have, like, a small apple, and then apple, Yeah. I'm sure they're heading in. I mean, there's a lot of science behind uh, what they're doing with this meat alternative stuff. I like the I like the plant-based. I think I'm, you know, but, but we'll see where it all goes. I, I like I think it's a cool uh, endeavor to try to like you know replace meat in different ways. So we'll see what actually ends up being practical. But yeah, all right. Thanks, guys. Have a nice weekend.